this is like Joe Rogan. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> okay. Hello, bonjour. My name is Elise Lavallee, and this is The Silence Between. And what an appropriate title, not only for our podcast series, but for today's episodes, because we're going to be talking about sound and, I guess, silence also, or lack lack of sound. Um, I have two guests today. That's very exciting. So we have WSO's principal horn, Patty Evans. Welcome. Thank you. And uh, we have producer and sound engineer, Adam Young. Nice to be here. So we also did something special. We came right inside Adam's uh, studio, recording studio in his house, uh, because we thought that's a good place to be talking about uh, sound recording and, and all those great things. Um, personally, uh, I play the viola, as you probably know, and I always feel and have to remind myself that I actually don't play the viola. I play the room that I'm in because it changes so much what I have to do with my instrument for what what people hear. So can we start actually even just with, I want to start with sound uh, and kind of try to put it out there. What's sound? Like if a tree falls in a forest. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, I, I, was, I was just thinking about that the other day and, and from a philosophical standpoint, <laughs> I would say yes, it makes a, it, it makes a noise. Because there's a, you know, a, uh, there's a physical response to it in terms yes, of, yes, yes. you know, atmospheric pressure being displaced and whatnot. And that's what sound is. Yeah. So uh, your, uh, your question is, what is sound? Is so you've answered it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, from my perspective, if I want to just sort of jump in and what, how I understand sound, and I think, you know, any um, physicist would understand sound is that it's, uh, you know, it's compression and rarefaction. And so basically compression, and so making a higher atmospheric pressure, which is what we live in, right? Otherwise our bodies would just kind of fall if we weren't pressurized within this air pressure. And it's very, very small amounts of uh, atmospheric pressure change uh, within a, like within an area that we're, that we are close to, so our ears can actually receive it and, and interpret that and send messages to our brain. And that's that's really what sound is, and that's what a sound wave is. <laughs> okay. Did I, did I lose you? <laughs> yes. I, I think of. Um, I, I was doing a little bit of research in preparation for this, and I I did take physics in high school, but I was really really confused about a lot of the things that I read. I wish I took physics in high school. I'm doing um, it now. I'm doing my homework now these days for the past ten years. So. But I I guess I think. Of it in a slightly more simple or, or maybe I'm thinking down the road a little ways in the process, but mm -hmm. I think for musicians and musical instruments, the, the main thing to think about is the vibration. So any um, musical instrument that is making sound waves, it starts with a vibration, yeah. right? It starts with the front horn, for example, or any brass instrument, it starts with the vibrating of the lips and with a string, the bow caresses the string and causes mm -hmm, the string mm -hmm. to vibrate. Mm -hmm. And if you like hit a drum head, that causes the drum head to vibrate. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess when I think in terms of sound, I think more about vibration and... and well, what, yeah. those, what those are doing is actually causing the, like for instance, you think of a drum head moving, that's compressing the air. And then there's a rarefaction, which if you think of a wave, I think a lot of us, or a lot of people, at least at one point in my life, I used to think of that sound was these waves you know, you think yeah. of a wave yeah, in yeah. a water transverse wave. Yeah. 
you know, moving in a certain direction. And so that would be considered a transverse wave where the, the, when the wave goes up and down, mm -hmm. it's perpendicular to the way that it's going. Mm -hmm. uh, a longitudinal wave, which is what a sound wave is, the compression and the rarefaction actually moves in the same direction as the way it's propagating. Oh, okay, so okay. that's the that's the so when when <laughs> what I, okay. like, I think Patty, Patty. I, think, <laughs> I think Patty yeah exactly but Patty's right like in terms of like when you when you hit the drum head and you know both the the top head and the resonant head are are causing a compression in the atmospheric pressure and then and then a rarefaction is a a, a lessening of the atmospheric pressure very very small amounts of change and it's incredible what our ears hear which is why the threshold of pain with our ears is so easily reached because it doesn't take much for our ears to hear. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know, so that first sound, and I do want to go back to the horn uh, after, that first sound that happens out of uh, a drum or a viola or of anything is one thing, and then the next thing is where it travels, right? That That's the room, the hall. Yep. So that affects it a lot. Yeah, like in a viola, uh, for instance, you would have your generator, which would be causing a wave, which would be your string. Yeah. And then your your the top of your um, viola is actually like a resonator. Yeah. So it's generator resonator. The resonator takes on what's called a, a, a resonant frequencies, mm -hmm. all the different notes you're playing, and it amplifies it and creates that atmospheric pressure change. Right. It's like if you yeah. have a tuning fork and you whack That's it right. and then you yeah. put it on the table mm -hmm. and then yeah. you can hear it. That right? table then, amplifies it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, depending also how big the room is, right? So yep. it and I want to get that uh, to that later how doing. it bounces off things from what I think. But uh, <laughs> back to the horn. So you were saying when you play the horn, yes, you vibrate the lips, mm -hmm. but then it's actually the the air. Yeah. Well, so you put the well, the air causes the lips to vibrate, oh. which causes the mouthpiece to vibrate. Okay. <laughs> and then you put it into the horn, and the horn is like the amplifier. Yeah. And then the whole thing resonates whatever vibration, whatever frequency yeah. you're playing. So the yeah. generator would be your lips and the... And yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of weird, but how much of it actually comes out of the hole? <laughs> the, the bell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Sorry>. Yes? <laughs> well, that's a really good question, and I don't actually have the answer to that. I mean, it's obviously much, much louder if you put your ear on the bell. <laughs> but, of course, the whole entire horn is resonating. Mm -hmm. But if you think about, like, an old phonograph mm -hmm. and how they have that... that bell mm -hmm. you, you know mm -hmm. you can actually i discovered this in in um physics class in high school you can roll up a piece of paper in the shape of a bell and stick a needle through the end of it put it on a turntable and you can actually play a record <laughs> that way don't ask me how it works i just know it works <laughs> so the sound is actually yeah. coming out the bell yeah oh and it works much in the same way it, yeah, okay yeah, that's so i think most aware most of us are aware then the horn actually plays kind of backwards yes Yes. Like the symphony, you watch the audience, but your sound go is we going... We are going backwards. That's right. So that's why you need something. Otherwise, it just keeps going backwards. You need something right. to send it back. Yeah, we need like a reflective surface to play off from. Mm -hmm. um, where uh, uh, as opposed to trumpets and trombones, you can see their bells are pointing right at mm -hmm. you when you're sitting in the audience. And that's why they're so... That's one of the reasons that they're so much louder than the horn is like um, it's hard for us to balance within the brass section because um, because we're pointing backwards mm -hmm. <laughs> and also because our the shape of the tubing we say that it's um, conical 
which means that it gradually gets bigger and bigger and bigger, just like an ice cream cone, whereas a trumpet and a trombone are cylindrical. So they stay basically the same width of tubing from the mouthpiece until the bell flare. So oh, they have okay. a, a much brighter, much more lively yeah, sound, yeah, yeah, and horns yeah. have a more mellow mm-hmm. sound quality. Since so that's the other reason that it, horns are often, uh, it's harder for us to balance with the rest of the brass. Yeah. And I think uh, when I think, I mean, French horns, like, for sure, one of my uh, top five favorite Well, no kidding. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I love <laughs> And I, I think what I love about the way the French horn works, like, you know, is, is you know, because you're facing that different way, there's less... Um, there's less of a, less of a point in it to the transient of the note, the the attack of the note. Hmm. You guys are got this sort of blending effect. It's less of a directional effect in the in an ensemble when you have a number of you guys mm-hmm. in a section. Yeah, yeah. which is yeah. why we we do so much playing with the woodwind section as well. Like mm-hmm. we we consider ourselves to be 100% brass and 100% woodwind. Mm-hmm. We play in right. woodwind quintets yeah. and in brass quintets, and I think it's, we have uh, more flexible sound quality. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So you're not saying though that you always need. Like, for example, if you're practicing at home, if you're playing a recital, it's not like you always need a wall, a meter behind you. No, no. Uh, because if you're practicing at home, I mean, generally, we don't live in giant palaces. So <laughs> <laughs> the walls are probably not that far away from you. And generally, when you're in a smaller space, you want to be a little farther away from the wall so you can get a little more resonance oh. around you. Oh. But when you're in a big cavernous space, oh, like a concert okay. hall, um, especially when you're, you know, some concert halls are built almost like sports arenas where people sit all the way around you. And Mm -hmm. it's more like a big room with the orchestra kind of in the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a little easier for us because we are sort of, the resonance is sort of all around you. But in a concert hall like the one here, Centennial Concert Hall in Winnipeg, it's a little bit more like the audience is in a big room and then the orchestra is in a little room tacked on (laughs) Mm -hmm. to the back of the big room and in order for the audience to be able to hear our sound we need something behind us that can reflect Mm -hmm. the sound waves out into the audience Um, and we don't really have that right now in Centennial Concert Hall so it makes it a lot more difficult for the horns to project. Yeah we used to have and I guess it's called a shell an acoustic acoustic shell uh, which kind of can look like a what shape is that? You know, um, usually well, it's like in a semicircle behind you, yeah. And then the top of it kind of flares exactly, down, exactly, like yeah. the top and behind you, and that helps to exactly do that to bring. So we don't have one at the Centennial Concert Hall because there were problems with it in terms of safety. So mechanical um, problems, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, putting it in place. So we're we're kind of struggling. Um, and and we should say like the hall that shell is a very special shell that was built. Um, specifically for that concert hall um, back in the 1960s when it was built. And it was in use up until, what, three years mm-hmm, ago? Like and then they discovered um, that it was having these mechanical issues. So what needs to happen is that it needs to be repaired, mm-hmm. and then it can be put back in place when the orchestra's on stage. But that shell we used, you know, for... What? How many years? 40, 50, 50 <laughs> yes, some yes. odd years. So it's been um, it's been down for a while. It's now? been down for about three years, oh, and uh, it just needs to. It, the The concert hall is owned by the province, yeah. um, so it's up to the province to do the repairs, gotcha. and we just yeah. need to, you know, get someone in there that can do the repairs, and then we can have our <laughs> shell back. Yes. Yeah. So you have played. Uh, I see everywhere the top five or six halls in the world for sound uh i remember boston paris tokyo um and germany and you've played (laughs) in a few of those yes so do you you play differently 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, it feels totally different. Actually, one of my favorite halls that I've played in is uh, the Maison Symphonique in Montreal. Okay. Which is a fairly Mm new-ish concert hall. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just absolutely beautiful. I mean, it's all made out of wood on the inside. A lot of trees had to die to build that place. (laughs) Um, It just sounds so good, though. (laughs) (laughs) And it is one of those where it it is uh, kind of a long rectangle, but the audience is is sitting all the way around you. So the orchestra is more a part of the room instead of sort of, you know, Mm -hmm. off. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reflective surfaces are all made of wood and they have special features where they can raise and lower the roof, the, mm-hmm. the ceiling to make it, they can like tune the concert hall is what they say. Um, and it's just, it's so live and it's so resonant. I actually did a, a pop show in there with um, the Montreal Symphony Orchestra uh, with a rock band out front and um, they didn't even need to mic the orchestra. Really? Because it was really? ju- it's just so <laughs> wow. lively in there. And it, it's like if, if a viola on the other side of the stage turns the page, you can hear it in the horn section. Oh, it's no. just everything <laughs> is just so, it's just happening all around you. And it, it just feels so warm. And yeah, so it's great. I want to talk about two things. And the first one is, so she's already telling us some words. What, what do you need? What makes a, a, sa- a room sound good? And the next one is, is there too much of a good thing, though, that can happen? Well, I think so, it's, a, it's a balance of things, you know, and, and, and I, you know, the, the big three for me is, uh, absorption coefficient, which if you look at these panels here, if, if this if these weren't here, uh, this would be a very reflective room. It's drywall. So right? we have sort of like, a, it's not a carpet, but a softer material that absorbs sound. This is like a woven membrane, and behind here is actually uh, uh, insulation as well. Okay. Okay. And absorption coefficient basically takes those compression... So anything softer, carpet... Clothes, fabric. Uh, well, not any. Yeah, I mean, anything softer is going to have more absorption coefficient. Okay. Yeah, uh, but the, uh, the the depth of the depth of the the absorber matters in terms of which frequencies it's going to absorb up to. Oh, I see. Okay. okay. So if we wanted to actually absorb bass frequencies in here, we would have to get a number of feet of insulation to actually absorb those particular oh, okay, frequencies. Okay. Otherwise, it just you know doesn't work. Fortunately, mm. these are inside walls, so the bass just travels right through it whole other part of physics <laughs> okay. but um uh you know when i think of uh i'm just going to refer to something here um this is a uh textbook that i taught acoustics out of at the U- university of manitoba and um it, some people might add to this but when you when i think of coming up with a a design for a place to play in like what patty's talking about you know you're 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 thinking of balancing volume uh distribution for the listeners like where the seats are you know put um, the clarity uh, of the sound. So that's clarity is sort of competing with reverb, but yet you want reverb, so it's not too dead. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's again, it's a balance of all these things. Low background noise, which is obvious. You want to have really good HVAC system, so we're not hearing the heat go on or the air mm-hmm. conditioning. Mm-hmm. And then envelopment, so a sense of of the sound kind of uh, coming from all places or all around, not just a directional effect. You know. Okay. And then also like performer satisfaction, and that kind of goes hand in hand with the distribution of, of where you put the seats and whatnot. Those are the things that a designer. Uh, those are the those are the big key factors that a designer of a, of a place to play 
faces, like you know, in terms of problem solving and trying to pick her, pick the less the lesser of all evils. And <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah so. interesting balance. I wonder you if know. there's still a bit of <coughs> trial and error. You know, sometimes I get somewhere, I look yeah. at a room, and I'm like this is going to sound really boomy or right. something. Yeah. And then it doesn't or something like, you know, or I think is the ceiling is high or this or that. And it's just... Um, Depending if like you're a part of the room, you might feel boomy. But then once you get everybody on, on stage, that often helps because everybody is actually a, a sound absorber themselves. Yes, we're, yes, we're yes. It does full change. Of, full uh, of water. And that's kind of what, what happens. Yeah. yeah. I <laughs> definitely notice a difference, especially when we play in a place like Westminster mm-hmm. United. <clears throat> excuse me that um it sounds so different in the rehearsals yeah than in the performance mm-hmm. when there are 500 people 400 yeah. people in there it's like a totally different experience yeah. mm-hmm. and hard to plan for when you're rehearsing because mm-hmm. you don't know mm-hmm. <laughs> how you're gonna feel you hear people I've, I've, he- I've heard that a number of times i don't know if you guys have dealt with this where you feel like you're almost playing timid in the rehearsal uh and then you you can give that extra 10 percent of volume or whatever it is in the performance and everything just starts to feel right once the audience is in there or play with more articulation Mm -hmm. i find Mm. it doesn't sound as you know just uh more articulation so is it that simple that what we need is just to reflect the sound like for example for horn or even for for violet my sound goes sort of linear Mm -hmm. like in front of me then it bounces off something and it comes back like this is it that simple then it comes back this way to hit the listener well i kind of liken those shells to like a monitor for a rock and roll band in a way um it's helping probably you i would imagine more than it is the audience to a certain degree the audience is going to hear the difference but I'm thinking it's helping you guys more. Am I correct on that, Patty? I don't, th- I don't think so. <laughs> no? I mean, I think... Um, I'm way off it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, there's definitely... That's definitely a consideration, how we hear ourselves. And this is a, an issue for the horn section. We can't really hear ourselves that well because right now, uh, without the shell, all of our sound just goes Backwards. backstage. Yeah, and then the audience can't hear it either because it all goes backstage. Um, and then, <clears throat> as Elise was saying... You tend to play to the room. Right. So, uh, and that's such a big part of being professional, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The pro- that, but know. the problem is, yeah. if I can't hear myself and I feel like the audience can't hear me, then I just am playing more and more and more and more. And um, that's where you put yourself at risk for injuries. Of course. Uh, yeah. It's a little known fact, I think, um, that injuries in brass players are actually pretty common. Uh, we strain facial muscles and we sometimes can get micro tears. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're constantly trying to get a sound out there that, and you just don't have a, a proper reflective surface, um, you're putting yourself at, at a much greater injury or risk of injury. Of injury. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting because I always I find it um, in French, <laughs> the <laughs> word for shell is la conque, right? Which mm. is conque is a shell, mm-hmm. as we all know. Um, and I find that to actually be a really constructive, uh, like, visual image mm-hmm. about the way that it all works. And, uh, you know, the way that it starts in sort of small and then it just sort of flares out. Yeah. And I guess that probably has something to do with the, the vibrations, right? The, the way that the... Well, it's just not being lost. Like, if, my guess is you guys have material behind you if the shell isn't there with a lot of absorption coefficient. Yeah. So that just, it's, it's like, absor- this is like... These are like a window. Instead of it reflecting to back to you, it's like throwing a ball out a window and it's gone. That's kind of with whatever frequency. Yeah, with whatever whatever frequencies that. So we're looking at the sort of 
carpet absorbing thing. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't throw it back at me. Yeah. It doesn't throw it back at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, whatever <clears throat> whatever frequencies it desire it decide or it can you know have an absorption coefficient up to, mm-hmm. those won't come back up at you and right. i think that that i can imagine that would be very exhausting for a horn player when yeah. it's just gone and there's yeah. no so yeah i could see how yeah obviously the shells are helping you and the audience hear you so that's a reflective surface it has not a lot of absorption coefficient which means it's going to help like it's going to reflect off that and then out yeah and it's sort of like like a little bit shorter and smaller at the back, and then it sort of flares out, almost right. like a French horn bell That's right, would, yeah. and that kind of uh, gets the sound. I believe there's a hall built after a shell, the one in uh, in Germany, um, the Elbe Philharmonie. Uh huh. In Hamburg. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I yeah. played there last March, actually. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's super cool. From the outside, it's like a ship. And it's inside, like, really a shell. wild. And the, the concert hall's, like, way up on the, like, 14th yeah. floor or something like that. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's a really... Yeah, that's quite an interesting place to play. Uh-huh. Um, some of those places I actually found a little bit... Um, a little bit fussy in their design. And that um, uh, the person who was conducting uh, the orchestra that I was playing with, you know, kept saying, oh, in this hall, you can't afford to miss a single note. Everyone can hear everything. Mm -hmm. And I sort of felt like, well, since when is that the goal? (laughs) You know, aren't we trying to make a beautiful sound and a beautiful moving artistic um, moment in time and Uh not that everything has to be about perfection? So sometimes Mm -hmm. I wonder if the science goes a little outside of the art form. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which actually happens with musical instruments as well. Uh, you're taking me to, to the subject that I want to get to. But right before, I I wanted to... Oh, now I forgot my line of thought, Jeremy. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Because I was like, that's where I want to go. But right, uh, So you were saying to play beautifully, can't miss... Oh, wait, wait, wait. So before we go into the, the art form... Um, I just want to throw it out there too about halls again and acoustics. You know, there's a place where you say this is honest. This acoustics is actually how I sound or it's honest. And there's a place where it's maybe a little too picky and it's showing everything, but it's good for Prokofiev. And then there's a place where it's boomy like a church and you want to play Mahler. So is there an ideal or everything, you know, can be good good or is honest? What about for you, Patty? Do you like just... Honest, or you like some <laughs> reverb after your sound, or it depends on who's honest we're talking about. <laughs> I mean, uh, it kind of reminds me of when I was at McGill and we had those practice rooms, and <laughs> Elise and I went to McGill together. Um, and some of them had these acoustic tiles on the walls, mm-hmm. and we would call those like the dead rooms, mm-hmm. right. and some of them mm-hmm. didn't have the tiles, and those were the live rooms. Mm-hmm. And the brass players love to be in the live rooms because it's way louder, <laughs> and we can't hear our mistakes as well, and you can't hear any of the little flaws and like the tonguing and things like that. But then you reach a certain level of maturity. <laughs> And you realize that to get any better, you're going to have to play a little in those dead yeah. rooms so that you can hear what you actually sound like. It's very much... So it's a balance, it's right? Very much, it's, very, it's actually very much like these microphones. They actually only pick up pretty much what's right in front of them. And a, and a more dead room is going to have that effect. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when you have, like, say, a section on their close mics and all of a sudden they hear themselves played back, it's it's harder to blend that. You have to be so bang on, you know? Yeah. And yeah. they often... I've often said like recording is the crucible in terms of really finding out how you play. And I think dead rooms can be like that. Like yeah. they very much can be like that. Yeah. yeah. So. so it's fun as a brass player to play in a, a 
live and boomy and loud kind of place, but yeah, it's probably a, a good balance to have <laughs> no, a little bit. I like bit practicing of... in the bathroom, you know. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, everybody loves singing <laughs> but, in the shower, right? <laughs> also, I'm probably not the only one, but I've recorded myself with my iPhone. Oops, should not do that. Oh my goodness, it's so compressed, right? Yeah. The iPhone makes me sound like because it's after looking after, I guess, consonants after voice more than. Anything yeah, and, else? Yeah, I mean, and there's a number of reasons, but that's one of them. Yeah, and then the 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 microphone gets overloaded and a whole bunch of different oh, other yeah. technical reasons. Right. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so like, yeah. this is what I I was thinking about that I found interesting is that we've been talking all this time about science and the science behind sound, and then in the end, we do this to share an emotion. Yeah, to share a story, to share to share something that will make people vibrate. And that's why I think we feel that it's so important. And I mean, I'm sure people know it too. If you put a good set of headphones on, it touches you much more than if it's yeah. s- right on your iPhone or something. <laughs> yeah. You you need well, like enough. Yeah. And, and on a, on a, uh, I don't mean to jump in um, on a different, like sort of genre, you think of Daniel Lenoir, the producer who produced uh, Joshua Tree U2, he's from Ontario. Um, you know, he was coming up in the era of, of padded rooms, like much like you'd be in here. And you get a certain aesthetic for recording. It gives you a lot of control. You can put artificial reverb on after. But he really started to record in live rooms and really see what he could get out of that 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 environment, which is interesting. And it's exactly what you're talking about. He wanted to he just felt like the padded room didn't work for him in terms of tugging at the emotional heartstrings of, of his music, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and I think that that's where the balance comes in, 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 in a performance environment where it's like, it's, it's controlled enough that you can actually play without so much reverberant distraction, but reverberant enough that you don't have to work so hard to energize the room, mm-hmm. you know, and bring that emotion across. Yeah. Yeah. It's so. funny how it's like such a balance of science and having all of the right technologies so that you can create art. And you <laughs> think of those things as yes. being different somehow, but they actually have to go together like hand in hand. Yeah. And I fear sometimes that <clears throat> when you don't have the right type of reflective surface and the right type of scientific uh, yeah. mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. going into the artistic product that unfortunately, um, you know, the the beauty of the artistic product is going to get a little bit lost and I'm not going to say that that happens entirely at the concert hall because I do think that we still put out a product that I'm extremely proud of Mm -hmm. but I do think that um I think that it would be such a huge difference for the people on stage as well as the people in the audience um sound wise and feeling wise and artistically and all that stuff um if we had our shell back <laughs> well, i think i think part of it too with what patty is talking about is is you know you talked about before we got into the interview you've, you really worked hard at educating yourself about even more things about your own instrument yes right? things i are just blow my mind i yeah. don't understand at all and knowledge is a very powerful thing you know it, yeah. it gives you more power and the more you study you know like i i knew a fair amount about sound before I taught acoustics at the U of M a few years back when they needed help and um but you know actually organizing a course I realized how much more quote-unquote powerful I became in terms of being able to make decisions Mm -hmm. help people like yourself or myself if I'm doing a recording and whatnot so I think that you know reading a book like this here that I have in my hands music uh, musicians acoustics um uh, by Scotty Parker um 
you know, like just even glancing through it now and then even your topics of interest, like your, I think your instrument's in this. And, uh, <laughs> it's so, on the, yeah, right on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. It's on the front cover. Very important instrument. Um, you know, the more, the more knowledge you have, the more powerful you become in terms of making suggestions and being a part of the decision making mm-hmm. to make your, your, your playing environment better. So are we also concerned that, you know, we might have good sound systems at home and we can kind of control our house or even our cars (laughs) so we can play some Beethoven symphonies? And of course, live music is live music. It's more powerful. But if you can crank the volume in your car or and then you get, I mean, we don't have that many halls, Mm -hmm. um, I'm, and I'm not talking about Manitoba, but that are really ideal for sound. I feel super fortunate to be on stage because it sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. And you can sit on stage, by the way, at the symphony. We have certain uh, rehearsals or matinees where um, you can uh, come and sit on stage during the rehearsal to just hear it from the heart, from the center. So that's where, is there a, a bigger discrepancy now with our technology and all our, you know, headphones, earbuds, yeah. and what you get. Well, do you mean like like technologically, or do you mean like the... Electroacoustic world or the so acoustic world? So are we missing on the I mean, experience? No, the experience, know? because oh. I feel it's like the experience. experience, I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like this um, argument was really popular for a while, like maybe back in the 80s, <laughs> where it was like, you know... Well, if we can yes. replicate it perfectly, you know, <laughs> using a computer, why do we even need an orchestra? But I mean, that just seems like such a silly thing to say at this point, because it's I think we all understand now it's not about the perfection of every single person playing every single note in the right place. And, um, you know, listening to a Beethoven symphony, you could get any number of Beethoven symphonies yes. online at any moment. Yes, yes. Um, but it's the collective energy that mm. goes into sitting on a stage full of other people um we are so intensely connected with each other during those times and the audience is so intensely connected with us mm-hmm. and with each other mm-hmm. i don't think that you i actually think you literally cannot get that experience mm-hmm. anywhere on the planet except for sitting in the concert hall Being it's a uniquely room, yeah. human uh experience common experience that we have that collective energy. it's like why go to a yoga class instead of doing it in your living room yeah. from a YouTube video because in the class you are feeding into the collective energy. Right. Yes, yes. And that I think makes a huge difference and not to overstate the obvious but especially in this day and age of technology that tends to isolate us from those collective yes, experiences. Yes. Um I know myself personally anyone who knows me knows that I'm an extreme oversharer on social media. I'm on there all the time. <laughs> Um, but I, when I'm doing that, it's a, it's more of a lonely pursuit. It's more of a solo pursuit. Mm -hmm. And when I'm with the orchestra, you know, it's, I can't do that by myself. I have to do that with a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way as me. Like when we're on stage, uh, before it starts, I'm always a bit like, uh, febrile or something. And then from that first downbeat, we have started that story. Like this is all that matters for the next whatever hour is that story that we're living, playing, sharing, and yeah, yeah this yeah. is the moment. And you look at um, the things in, that are kind of pulling us apart right now, um, 
um, politics and all of those <laughs> kinds of things um, can be very isolating. And I don't think anybody um, can communicate in the way that orchestra musicians communicate with each other. You know, we play together so often mm -hmm. and so we're, we're together so much of the time that we can actually line up exactly when the note begins. Mm -hmm. 67 people all at the same time. Like when mm -hmm. we did that Beethoven symphony last week, the very beginning, bum, bum. And Wait, we all are just, right we're now. all doing it together <laughs> and we're all like, Breathing and breathing and in the same like mental space. I mean, you look at our our governments; the they can't even have a conversation with each other, yeah. let alone yeah. collectively doing something like that. Yeah. So yeah. Well, and and also to getting back to what you originally were talking about, being in the car listening, and mm -hmm. you know, like that electroacoustic world is what we end up having to listen to it, like in a recording mm -hmm. situation. As sound men. It, or sound people, uh, sorry. Um, we, uh, yeah, sorry. We I got just had a conversation it. about political correctness yeah, last exactly. week. You and I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there I'm done. So, um, you know, like all all we talk about is 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 we complain about speakers and microphones and rooms because we can never capture what's actually done. So it's like we're on this quest that'll never happen. It's mm -hmm. just like you know, I used to play in several different bluegrass jams in a in a living room. And it's just, you can't replicate that sound. You can mm -hmm. put up the best mic, $20,000 microphone and omnidirection and try to make it as most natural as possible. It just will not. Oh, you're making me happy now. Yeah. It will not. It won't happen. It just. That's a really good point. It's like your, your pursuit, lifelong yes. pursuit is to make it sound like it sounds in the concert hall. Yeah. And the concert halls are trying to make it sound like it does in recordings. I, like I didn't we're know all that. chasing each other, right? I didn't we know that. Just... Well, whoever's doing that, I need to have a talk with them and tell them to stop. <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> You're doing. I mean, from from. I mean, again, like from a listener's perspective, when I'm in the audience, I mean, the symphonies. It sounds wonderful to us from where we are, and maybe that has been the priority in the stru in the structure of the building. I'm not sure, and you know, I've never. I don't even know if I've walked on stage there. Um, like you know, after. Well, I may have after one of the, but that still doesn't give me an indication of what it feels like for the band and what it feels like for them. We can invite you. Yeah. yeah, I'll just yeah. stand there one see. time. Yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, out of sight. Uh, you know, and I, uh, but I think that sometimes that's an overlooked thing in the design. At least it has been in the past. Is like how do the how do the performers feel? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's for the audience mainly. Yeah, and then you guys struggle. Yeah, from your perspective to to get a to sense get, of yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's funny because in a recording, the first thing I do uh, is is make sure everybody feels great, as as comfortable as you possibly and as natural as you possibly can feel in your headphones. You know, yeah, yeah. if you if I don't start there, I'm not going to get a good performance out of the group. It's just yeah. and if I don't get a good performance, I don't care how good my mic preamps and my microphones and everything are. It's not going to sound good because the transients aren't lining up, the timing's not good, mm -hmm. people are playing hesitantly, mm -hmm. all those mm -hmm. things. So, again, getting back to that sort of monitoring effect with the shells. Again, I I appreciate that it is to help the the audience, but it certainly would help you guys. Yeah. In your situation, in definitely, terms of, yeah. for sure. I got us off topic of what so, you were talking about. No, Sorry. no, no. It's it's <laughs> all good. I'm wondering now because this has been brought up to if um, you feel like there's a special way of listening. So we're talking about this great experience that we embark on. And as listeners, I think some people are not sure or not sure that they can come and feel like they're part of it. Or 
They're going to be distracted. Do you know what I mean? Is there a way... You're talking way about the audience? We, the audience. Because, I mean, what we just described is really amazing. And this is what's going on. And sometimes as an audience... It's like, hmm, do I need to do something? Do I need to be... I used to think we need to do concerts in the dark, complete. (laughs) So you don't have any visuals. So, you know, your senses, other senses take over, you know, to help people be part of what we go through on stage. Hmm. I I mean, to speak into what Patty was saying, I I feel like it's without the audience, that performance doesn't exist, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's like a... It's like a hockey game without the audience. Imagine watching. <laughs> nobody's going to be there, but we're going to watch them on TV and there's no cheering, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's about the, that interaction that is involuntary almost. It's Or am I misunderstanding what you're asking? Was, no, absolutely. And I think probably some halls, like again, Westminster, uh, you feel closer to. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, yeah. You know, you're like, oh, right there. Or you see yeah. closer, so you feel like you're more part of it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes maybe it's good, though, to have a distance and have a, a bigger yeah. picture. Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. just trying to, to maybe cater to uh, an audience who's not certain about... Um, yeah, I mean, I actually get this al- question a lot from yeah. people um, that I, you know, come across who haven't been to a lot of concerts or mm-hmm. you know and um they're sort of like well should I dress up you know I get that <laughs> a lot like how should I what should I wear like um and I you know I always say like I see people dressed I I see people in the audience wearing tuxedos I see people in the audience wearing sweatshirts mm-hmm. you know it, it all kind of depends on what you want to make of this experience and I would do the same like I've been going to concerts regularly, regularly since I was at McGill. We would mm-hmm. go, if the Montreal Symphony was playing on Tuesday night and Wednesday night, we would go on Tuesday night and Wednesday night. <laughs> we would hear both nights we'd be there and we'd be listening to everything. And, um, you know, I've gone in jeans and a T-shirt and I've also thought of it as a special experience and gone completely dressed up. And I guess the entire experience is kind of what you make of it. So if I were going on a date with Todd, I might like dress up and go to the concert hall and be feeling a little more intense and a little more special. If I were going because they were playing my favorite piece, I might wear whatever I had (laughs) been wearing all day. Mm -hmm. Maybe not my pajamas, but something close (laughs) to that. And just sort of hunker down in my seat and just, you know, sort of keep to myself and just enjoy the experience that I'm having I think it's kind of what you make of it and I don't I think the sky's the limit you know clap between movements don't clap between movements I agree with you I agree have a couple drinks at intermission (laughs) just whatever you want it's your experience Mm -hmm. you know and and each one of those things help to create the collective and I think we you need to have a range of people there enjoying it in different ways Mm mm-hmm Absolutely. So, so, so well said. Okay, so um, you're going to be playing a couple concertos next year. Yes, in the 2021 season. With the WSO. Tell yes. us about that and also how that changes. Does that change your, your playing? And Yeah, well, okay. So, um, you know, you see piano soloists and violin soloists quite a lot, um, but you don't generally see as many wind soloists um it's a little harder to make a living being a a wind soloist um so normally what I do is I play in the orchestra and I play 
I'm usually at the back of the stage and I'm pretty short, so you probably never actually see me back there. Um, so I have to play a little more of a, a more of a supporting character because the horn is not generally a melody instrument like the flute or the oboe. So, um, hmm. you know, I play a lot of like whole more, notes. More than and me, maybe, though. <laughs> similar to the viola. Yeah. Um, I do have solos occasionally like within the orchestra piece, um, but... It's rare that I actually would stand at the front of the stage and play a yeah. solo piece. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've done it maybe four or five times since I've been here. Do you have a different um, horn for that? No, no. no. I Sometimes if the piece is really, really high, okay. then I'll play on a horn that's a little bit shorter. Okay. Because um, the shorter the instrument, the higher, uh -huh. right? So <laughs> back to sound. Um, but no, this one, these are two really standard pieces in the horn repertoire. So it'll be Mozart's. First concerto for horn, he wrote four concertos and a concert rondo for horn. And Strauss concerto number one, which uh, in 2006 I actually played Strauss concerto number two. Okay. Um, so this is uh, an early concerto for him. He wrote it when he was 19 because his father was a, a horn player. So I, you know, I do have to change my approach a little bit. I have to play a little louder and a little more... Um, like soloistically mm -hmm. so that, um, you know, I get to sort of set the tempos and I get to sort of set the pacing and mm -hmm. where we maybe get a little bit slower and then speed up a little bit. And, um, yeah, I can sort of afford to play out a little bit more. Whereas a lot of times if I'm playing at the back, you know, and I'm accompanying, I'm more in an accompanying yeah. role. So I play a little bit less. So, yeah. Well, we're very much looking forward to that. <laughs> so thank you so much, you two. Thank you, Adam Young, for, uh, you know, explaining a little bit more about uh, sound today. We could go on for hours, right? Oh, you could go on for a few months on you that could one. go on for years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. At least a few months just to get everything out. So trying to get it in, in a few minutes or podcast. <laughs> but I hope whatever I said is helpful to people that are interested. <laughs> yes. And thank you, Patty Evans, Principal Horn with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. No problem. Thanks for having me. I'm Elise Lavallee, and this is the Silence Between Winnipeg Symphony podcast produced by Pass Bedtime Studios. Thank you, and join us next time. I decided I wanted to do it.